Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I contact you today from a sunny but slightly cloudy and slightly wintry feeling Valdelier uh, here in the Port de Soleil. Um, the weather seems to have turned a bit. We've had a, well, you'll hear this in this particular episode. So in this particular episode, uh, I went to interview John Tom uh, and it was 33 degrees. So there's a fan on uh, to try and keep us all cool. And that fan runs in the background. I've toned down the noise of it and um, in the in the post edit, but you can still hear it. It's a little bit like white noise. It's a bit of a drone, but it's fine. And it doesn't impact on the uh, the quality of the interview. But uh, here, it yeah, the weather seems to, it feels like it's turned. It feels like mid-September, the temperatures have gone down, it's cold overnight and it's a bit dewy in the morning as well so um it's got a real feeling of like winter is on the way and um i'm very much uh, starting to feel feel the need to get uh get free up some space in the diary and and and, uh, uh, and go skiing um so i will be i'm hoping to sort of head up there in the next couple of weeks somewhere i'll probably go to sas bay and have a slide about around there and uh see see where that takes me um, in this interview, uh, this is interview, I say episode 57, it's with John Arson and Tom Waddington. Now I've interviewed these guys before, but they've gone in their own direction now and they've started their own ski instructor training company called Level Up Ski Coaching. I happen to be talking to them about it and I thought, well, I'll get them both in a room and they can tell me what it's all about. And, um, this is, this interview kind of uh went in various different places but we talked about um you know like training uh for the ski season we talked about equipment a lot we talked about robots we talked about their new venture we talked a bit about brexit and all sorts of other stuff so um it's been it was a really really cool interview it's lovely to hang out with those guys and see them again and um i really really value the the, the time that we got to to kind of hang out and chat um even though it was like a million degrees so uh so yeah a really really good interview um i've got a few uh a few others lined up and and they're kind of ready to go and i'll be editing those and, and there's probably you know, be coming out on a monthly schedule i've been a bit slack with that over the summer but it's been busy and um and yeah we were there's a couple of others in the can that i'm very very excited about that um and a couple of other uh interviews that i've got that i'm very excited to go and do so um that's going to be really really cool so um without further ado we'll um we'll just go in straight into the interview this one will go all the way through and i started off chatting to these boys about ski instructor cars again <laughs> you remember when you uh, asked me i was like no this is a, a blank sheet it's just that you didn't do so, that yeah but i thought maybe sometimes i'll start saying something hoping to get to somewhere and then i forget to get there because i go off there and then i thought maybe i'll write down that point but then i forgot about writing down those points <laughs> This keeps me from wandering too much. That's all. I understand. And you have you vetoed my? Um, we can talk ski. My... Ro- we can talk ski robots if you want. Mm. Oh, I do want to talk ski robots. Yeah. I was talking to someone about that this morning. Oh, are you vetoing my um, worst ski instructor cars that you've ever seen? 
no. worse ski so, instructor. So you know oh. that there's a sort of generic, maybe not when you reach the level of you boys, you know, like elite coaches, you have decent, decent car. But when you first start off, like the, you see some guys show up in some real, like, bad stuff. I, I, I am listening to a, a podcast in another sport, and they they ask pet peeves. Right. Uh, every podcast might might be fun to add to yours. So I had uh, there was a guy I used to work with called Rich yeah. Rich Walker, really good guy. Rich I know Rich Walker. Is it Rich Walker? Yeah, Rich Walker. I recognise that name as well. He worked a bit in in Bansky. Mm-hmm. I think he was around here at some point. Lovely skier, like, really nice guy. I don't know what he does now, and I've kind of lost touch with him a bit. But the he used to have a car, the old crappy Golf, but it had Bulgarian registration on it. And he was working in Morjan, going backwards and forwards. You know, there's a border there, and you go back and forth, do your cheap shopping in Chatel and come back. Yeah. So literally every time he would go over the border and come back. He's a British ski instructor coming back into Switzerland in a Bulgarian car. So literally every time they had him out, dogging, like the whole thing. You know, like, what are you doing here? Like, imagine like how many times you would have had to get all of his papers out and explain this thing. Yeah. And so that was one of the worst ski instructor cars I think I've ever, I've ever seen. I don't know, I think just people always think they need like the SUV with the four wheel drive but you don't <laughs> you don't no. need that you just need a car with some you, you need a station wagon yeah or a van <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what you need don't certainly don't need a defender to be a ski instructor no that's for sure I once went to China to deliver a course in a snow dome mm-hmm. uh, and I flew into Harbin airport which is quite north in China and um I had my skis with me and my boots, and they only had really tiny taxis. <laughs> so the guy had to put the skis out of the boot and like put a cable oh, cable tie, <laughs> and I was driving through like the centre of a really busy city uh, with my skis sticking out the boot. And, oh, uh, wow. and yeah, the snow dome was in in the centre. So when I moved out here in 2009, I, I had a smart car and the smart like one of the little ones. Yeah. yeah. And I moved all of my possessions and a dog right here in the smart car. There wasn't a single bit of space no. here. No, it was like skis and <laughs> kind of dog and suitcases and all sorts. Stick of stuff. anything on the top? No, the, the, the smart car rack actually did exist, yeah. but I didn't have it at that time. It, was, it sits on the back, like you yeah. sometimes see on the yeah. Land Rover's rack. But, but yeah, what's your view on like skis in the car, like wet stuff in the car? Or do you put them on the roof? I'm not a... Uh, you just don't drive, boys. Do you? No, here we don't drive much. I, I'm moving, uh, so that, I guess that'll change. But um, it's too bullish. Um But um, I'm not interested in cars, I think. So, like, I just stick them where they, where they go and don't care about them. Yeah, me too. But I had a... For most of my earlier ski instructor career I had a Shogun Mitsubishi which I thought would be great in the snow yeah. but it was terrible in the snow <laughs> okay. I, had the, I had the wrong tyres on it because I had no idea really about snow tyres no. yeah I pushed that car once yeah you did yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it broke down loads of times yeah. on the Aust- Austrian motorways um, and I could never get snow chains on I got stuck on the uh, 
pot of Soleil pass one time and my hands froze off. But I used to live down in Saint Jean d'Or below Mosey. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I used to put my skis in every day there and back. Yeah. And it just got so like condensation. Yeah. Um, so actually from that you got a ski rack. Uh, uh, I, I try not to put the skis. Oh, get a little brush and brush the snow off before they go okay. in. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, if you fill up a little container full of rice, put it under your seat, yeah. the rice absorbs a little bit. Oh, there you go. Not so. just iPhones. <laughs> no, and iPhones work for as well. And the other one apparently is if, if if the sun is on your car and it's above zero degrees outside, you just crack the window slightly. Yeah. All of the the wetness goes out. Uh huh. That's Yeah. I think, yeah, just because there's a lift from the shop as well, and there's lots of uh, like boots, yeah. lockers, and ski lockers up in town. I think a lot, most people leave their skis there. Yeah. So they don't actually drive with the equipment. Because a lot of people often who work here, here, they live down here. But yeah. They work up there, live down here. Almost no one left up in town. It's like yeah. we were, we are still up there for a couple of months, and then we're down in the valley as well. And the ones that are left, there's not many of them left. I can think of a handful. No, and I think that's something to touch on. Um, yeah, let's talk about it now. Yes. Because, uh, because this is a topic we were just talking about earlier. With regards, it's, it's the same, I think, now in all, all ski resorts. And uh, let me tell you, you tell me if the trend is the same here as it is where we are. So, historically, We've had a lot of ski instructors who've lived in, in Chatel and then commuted over the border to, to work in Switzerland. And the other model is you live in the resort where you are. In Chatel, certainly, a lot of the accommodation has either been converted into apartments, the old accommodation, or it's been, I don't know, knocked down and rebuilt into something else. And then they sell these apartments to people who come one week a year, or maybe two if you're lucky, and there's a real shortage of places to stay in. Um, in our valley, they use the word like hotbeds, I suppose. It's so much so that in the Valdivia, where I am, they put a ban on any new developments of second residences. So that if you want to buy a house there, you have to be coming to live in it. And as such, that's added to the vibrancy of the village, it's really cool. But it's starting to be the same thing. I know for a fact in Champry next year, I think Stefan and, and a couple of the guys who work for me have got a problem because they're going to renovate the, the, the cheap accommodation that they're in. Maybe they'll add to the price, or you know, or, or, or they'll again sell those apartments to someone else. So, do you have the same issue here in Verbier, or is it just that ski instructors only expect to pay a minimal price for their accommodation? And haven't really got with the times where everything is getting more expensive, as we all know. What do you think? I think it's a mix of everything, but what we're seeing is more and more people are moving further away from Verbier, even down into Martigny, mm. which is still connected on the train line. But yeah, for sure, it's it's becoming a real problem in in Verbier. We've got instructors right now still looking for accommodation. Um, and people not able to come and train with us mm. um, at the moment because they can't find accommodation for what they want. In Verbier itself? Uh, 
in Verbier and Le Chab. Really? In fact, Le Chab is even is becoming even harder to find accommodation than, than Verbier because uh, there's less of it, basically. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I think it's a. It's just been. If I can be a little bit critical of, uh, like the, the commune or whatever, whoever mm. it is to make these the planning and, and such, they've sort of been more focused on uh, chalet construction and uh, like the really high end mm. uh, accommodation, especially up in Verbier. There's not been anything built since I've been here that would sort of cater to um, people who work in tourism. Yeah. Um, and eventually that sort of because some when somebody renovates an apartment mm-hmm. it's going to be priced out of uh, our um, sort of price range mm-hmm. and uh, it just becomes uh, yeah you just don't have any options so you cannot expect to live in Verbia anymore that's for sure the shop is tricky and then you have villages up and down the valley that, that have some but the, there are no like Apartment buildings, virtually no. There's mm. there's like two, three, four apartments in any one building. Yeah, and uh, that just doesn't like solve the the mass problem uh, of seasonal staff. Yeah, I think the the gentry, gen, gentrification of good word. <laughs> hey, good word. Wow, I looked it up. That's yeah. the first time that word's been ever used. I was thinking about years. using that, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the gentrification of ski resorts and speaking to people in Valzette, Zermatt, mm-hmm. especially the higher resorts, um, it's it's becoming more and more of a problem. They're developing expensive apartments mm-hmm. and it's pricing the season airs out of the market. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Airbnb. Yeah. So owners are deciding they'll make more money from renting their property for maybe six weeks. Yeah to eight weeks mm. and then they've got their property to have a holiday with yeah so airbnb is contributing i think to the problem um and i think a little bit since covid more yeah. and more people want to move out to the alps or work from a chalet so yeah. um see more people move here mm-hmm. um with more money i guess yeah. so yeah, especially in the high resorts, yeah. seasonal accommodation is a problem. And I spoke to an estate agent the other day, and he says he thinks the owners of the properties that he rents out mm. have put their prices up 20% just in the last two years. For real? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. One of the common things around where we are, because um, we are a little bit more proximate to Lake Geneva than you guys, but mega so but a little bit closer is that a lot of our clients once their family really gets into skiing the next logical step for them is to have a place in the mountains so save loading up the car and coming up for the weekend or you know, staying in a hotel on Saturday night the next logical step is to rent somewhere for the season for them if their family's really really into it and there's not much of that around, so often I, I have that conversation with a lot of people that we ski with. This is, you know, do you know anyone that's got an apartment? We're really struggling to find someone. In most of the villages, you know, there's like one real estate agent. You know, it's not, it's different here, but where we are. And 
it's a struggle for them to find stuff. But those people have got a bigger budget than the ski instructors, yeah. right? Um, a studio apartment in Morjan, you'd be lucky to get one of those for the season for 4,000, maybe, these days. That one, that was even a while further back. But yeah. even like a, a place to dump your skis and sleep with two, you know, two parents and two kids, you know, maybe a couple of bunk beds and one main bedroom. I mean, that's going to be at least six to 8,000 for the season. Now, for those people, that's not so much of a, a reach, and it's very convenient for them to come up on Friday night. You know, all your ski stuff is there, and you can do whatever you do, and then go back home on Sunday afternoon. For your ski instructor, six to eight thousand is a, it's a big reach, right? The, the the wage wage inflation has not kept up with the cost of apartments, for sure. For sure. For what they can, you know, what these guys can earn in the season, and there is, like you say, is becoming a dwindling supply of apartments and accommodation that caters to those kind of people. I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. It's, uh, it's to become it's a bit uh, like the US. No? Yeah, I mean, but in the US, uh, I don't know US, but I think in like Whistler, you had uh, you have that one company that owns the whole mountain, owns mm-hmm. the resort, yeah. and they like they. They buy a building to provide the staff accommodation. Mm-hmm. Um, here it's more spread out because it's not one company, one resort, right? Mm-hmm. So it's tricky. But there are various companies um, that are now, like hotels that are booking up uh, accommodation year round for their staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, companies that operate here are forced to take on that additional risk because staff just cannot find apartments yeah and you see it on um, social media every day it's not now like these uh, Facebook groups and stuff with um, with um, accommodation as their focus is not mainly people advertising their apartments it's people advertising themselves saying I come to work work in Burby yeah yeah um, looking for accommodation so there's just a clear mismatch in availability yeah yeah I think in the future I was speaking to someone from Zerma and more and more I mean big companies are already doing it like hotel companies for their staff they're looking reserving accommodation Mm. for the season or the year but I think ski schools are probably going to have to start looking and reserving apartments for mm. ski instructors taking the upfront hit and risk um, so that they've got yeah. enough staff to so the staff yeah. can live I've been considering this for a few years is, is just to, to buy an apartment because you you have a guaranteed rental right you can mm. you can let it below market rate certainly to, to, to the ski instructors but if you fill it with say four people or something you get a two or three bedroom apartment if you can find one at a reasonable price it's more difficult here to do um, you know that would cover your your mortgage for the year for sure if you put two or three of your staff in that apartment um, you might even make some money out of it but it's you've got to have the money initially to yep. to be able to buy that apartment with right and it's um, but it is becoming certainly becoming an issue yep and if you're trying to be a ski school who's attractive to staff you know you could go to Japan or something and they'll give you an apartment yeah. with your job 
I don't know how attractive the terms are to do that. Um, but we, we had one, at least one last year, who signed up, was really keen to train, and never found accommodation. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. so he couldn't train. The other thing about that is how it's done. Like, how things are done around here. I don't know how tech advanced they are here with regards to... But, but a lot of people think that in order to get a, um, uh, an apartment or something, you just have to send emails to people. I don't think it works like that. And my advice always to them is that you've got to come here and you've got to get off your ass and you've got to you've got to knock on doors and you've got to you've got to like literally it's it's the it's the way to get stuff done. You've got to be like sitting in front of someone and it's got to be fairly obvious that you're not going anywhere until they provide you with the solution. With an email, they can just fob you off till the, the, the cows come. Yeah, but it, that's it's, that's hard for seasonal staff. Absolutely. They I, are I not here. I couldn't agree with you more, which is why I say the second yeah. bit of advice is sort it out before you leave the previous season, uh, the, the season before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do it in April. Don't be doing it in September. No, September already is uh, tricky here. Sure. You know, don't be trying to do it over email in the summer when every, every real estate guy is on holiday in August, right? It's not going to work either. He doesn't know you from Adam. I think... You've got to be a bit more proactive than that. You've yeah. got to be in the supermarkets looking at the the, the little cards on the yeah. you know that people put up because people still work. Those really cheap apartments come up in the old ways. They don't come up through Verbier Imo or or no. Never, no. right? You've got to find the little old lady who's who's letting out her basement or whatever, and he she will only advertise on the little card in the co-op. Yeah. And unless you know someone here, it's really really tricky. But you, I think you've got to do it a little bit like that. Yeah. That seems to me to be the only way. And a lot of our guys have really struggled by doing things by email or trying to do it like that because things aren't quite as advanced here in that respect as they would be in the countries that they're coming from. It's getting a bit negative, though. Like, I think uh, so far we've had one person who actually failed to find an apartment to stay in. So, like, pe- pe- people come here and are able to find uh, find places to stay. But it is it is something that's quite hard to solve, I think, without some new buildings going up. Yeah. And people don't want big apartment blocks next to their um, properties. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like uh, something that the commune is going to have to think about how they pl- like zoning and planning and permitting uh, those projects to go ahead because if they don't it's, it's yeah. just like long term it's not going to solve itself without without the commune stepping in I, I think there's a bigger issue to that as well isn't there it's like when we we come to the mountains for a reason we've all been here a fair mm-hmm. amount of time now I drive through it's not so bad where I live now but when I go back to where I used to live in Chatel part of its charm is it was undeveloped compared to Morsey and now when you drive through you can't see fields and cows and, and agriculture and, and the old Savoy farmhouses because it's all been knocked down yeah. everyone who's got a field sold it for development and where does that end? Yeah um, you you lose some of the charm but um, you see that here as well? Like Verbia is is um, um, it's still a very pretty village because of the affluence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
like they build the new developments to look like they're old when okay. they first go up like they have the 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 wood that's so they can afford to do it yeah way. yeah okay. um okay, but you good. know that's a, a few yeah doesn't serve that many people and it certainly doesn't serve um people in the in the in hospitality and tourism mm -hmm. yeah yeah interesting let's um let's go into a more positive thing yes <laughs> because we did sit here a moment ago about that kind of stuff um new company new yeah. direction for you both instead of me guessing what's going on why don't you tell me tell me the the, the story and how level up has come to be and what your what direction you're hoping to go in with it well John actually came up with a name, mm. Level Up, which, good. when he suggested it, I was like, oh, that's, that's really good. It uh, says, says what we do. Um, and I think... And did he, at that point, did he go like that with his hands? Yeah. Like, oh, no. <laughs> just handed it all over to you to do the work. I tried. I tried. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think it, it came from us wanting to do our own thing and have more independence. Previously, we were with New Gen, mm -hmm. um, and personally I was running the ski school uh, as a manager, and did over 10 years of doing that, and was kind of coming to an end. Didn't want to be involved in the politics of that mm -hmm. anymore. Um, so, we looked at, at leaving and we, we started Level Up. Yeah. And essentially what what we're doing is we haven't really changed anything about our coaching, what we do on snow. That's, mm. that's us. It's always been us. We've got a system that we work with um, and we work with all ski instructors from all systems and essentially we make them better skiers, you know, improve their performance of skiing, whatever country or system you come from. Mm. Yeah. And by cutting away, we've talked, I think we talked about this when we talked about offices and organisation and, and corporates and all that sort of stuff. When it's just two of you, you are freer to pursue the direction and have more of a purity in the direction that you want to go in all aspects marketing yeah. on snow off snow how you want to treat people yeah pricing all that sort of stuff right that's it gives you complete creative freedom to, to, to shape it in the way that you want to go yeah it, absolutely yeah. to be fair we did decide to partner with the ski school, um, so we are working with performance um, slash powder extreme. Um, we're under that umbrella um, because it's the advantage is that it's such a sec successful school that our trainees, when they're not training, can can work for that school and and uh, get tons of hours. Um, but uh, it, we have a large degree of autonomy 
uh, to do our thing. Uh, so it's just me and Tom. We have our own little brand. Uh, it's two uniforms uh, that look like ours on the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so we stand out that way. And like you say, we're very nimble uh, in marketing and um, taking whatever decisions we need to take, as long as it like doesn't impact performance. Operations, obviously, Um, we are very free to to operate the way we want, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which is like easier for us than um, than it was before. Um, Yeah, and that's it's been really fun. I have to say, it's been really fun because you feel um, liberated. Although you know, we had a a good ten years with Nugen. I think one of the reasons as well for me personally was just, you know, you've done the same thing for 10 years. It's quite fun to start a new thing. Mm. Um, and the benefit of that, of just allowing us that freedom is, uh, has been really good. Like if we want to post a story, it's us deciding that we have complete freedom of what it should look like and what the contents or a reel or whatever if we want to write a blog we can upload that we even have a web page yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, but so it's, yeah it's been really it's been really fun actually yeah and we, we had a really good season last season yeah. for our first season yeah. um, mm-hmm. we had two two groups and we did have ski instructors who work for other ski schools as well mm-hmm. but the ski instructors who train with us who work for a performance got loads of hours. I think the average was 280 on top of a eight-week training program. Yeah. The most was 415 hours. That's crazy. Uh, which is a hell of a lot of hours to do in a season on top, she, she on was top t- of training. She was tired. She was tired. <laughs> it's too much. But, you know, they get great tips with the yeah. clientele that performance have. And um, it, was a, it was a really good... Um, first season for us, so we're looking forward to next season, aren't we, John? Yeah, it's just looking good as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, the training that you guys do, so it's a continuation of what you were doing two years ago at New Gen. We spoke, I can't remember when we spoke, it was ages ago. Um, yeah, it must be at least two years ago, right? I think three um, or three. Yeah, you're primarily focused on training people through level three and four or we took the level three and four yeah. level three and four of certain organizations yeah. but you're not petit, you're just training good skiing as i understand it you're not specifically focusing on people to pass or jump through certain hoops of certain organizations it's like good skiing is good skiing doesn't matter which which organization yeah i mean there are certainly um if you think of it in language it's like Everyone's speaking English, but there's some accents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the Swiss look a little bit different, but it's still a human on top of skis on snow, so it's, you, you tweak the template a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, what you could say is the ISIA stamp level um, and up to the ISIA card level, okay. um, which would be, you know, we're both. Basie trainers yeah. it would be level three and four level in, in Basie, IAZ, New Zealand. It's not called level four there, but yeah, Australian. Um, like that's that's the that's the level. yeah. That would be so what it's not the not like the, in Swiss snow sports. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's not like the first contact uh, with with the industry. It's when you're, if you're keen, two, three years in, I would say. Well, I think also you're then, you know that the people that are coming to you are pretty serious about doing it as a profession. Yeah. Yeah. So my entry to this world was with with Warren and his GAP program. Yeah. And uh, I did that in Sespa in the summer. And I am the only one out of 16, 18 people on that mm. GAP, maybe 20, I don't know, that ever went on to do anything. Yeah. And I am, strangely, I've gone all the way through the system. I was pretty mm. sure that I knew what I wanted to do. But... No, I was surprised. No, everyone else was just there for the party. At the moment. Mm. You know, a summer gap, level one and two, bit of skiing. And then they went off to university or did something else or whatever. But if you're serious enough to then go from level two and start doing your level three modules and then yeah. level four, it really starts to get serious. And you know you're dealing with serious people. I mean, that must be pretty cool for you guys to, to know you don't have to chase those, you know, have to rouse those people up in the morning, right? They come motivated. I think we talked about that we never struggled with motivation mm. on mm. on the side of the the our trainees. They are always self motivated, mm-hmm. whereas on a on that gap course experience, it's they might not have chosen to do the gap course. It might have been the parents in order for. Mm-hmm for the kids to be allowed to go to the Alps and have a party season, mm-hmm. the GAP course provides the structure yeah, yeah. that makes the, the parents yeah. comfortable. So there's a definite difference in um, in attitude and how keen they are. And, and, you know, obviously they've skied a lot more as well, so they're better skiers. It's more fun for us. Yeah, and I think, you know, what we kind of do differently and what's really worked well for us is you know our programs periodized it's more towards the athlete end of the spectrum mm-hmm. um, we break stuff down at the start and, and build that up through the season um, with a lot of practice in between mm-hmm. structured practice and that's that's worked really well for us over the years with lots of passes but yeah what's interesting now actually is that we used to be mainly level four Hmm. but now we've seen a lot less of the level four as it were yeah and full cert full cert yeah right and a lot more level threes now why do you think that is um several reasons um but I do think I'm gonna say the word Brexit <laughs> 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 this is the Swede having the guts to say it. <laughs> right. No, but I think I think yeah, yeah. like it has it takes a few years to to pan out onto the higher levels and I think I think you're seeing the panning out. Uh yeah. yeah. Uh, you know all of a sudden some opportunities were cut off mm-hmm. for the people starting so they never got the chance and then you had a few people who could extend here in Switzerland at least mm-hmm. and as that you know the the even people going through level three and four a lot of people don't stick in the industry for life it's true um, and I think you start to see like that delayed uh, panning out happening now um, just because yeah. permits to be allowed to work here 
Permits is definitely one, and it'd be nice if that changed. <laughs> I'm honestly quite optimistic that yeah, probably yeah, not for this season, but yeah. but next. Like, yeah. I think I think an agreement's going to come some for for some freedom of movement in some yeah. form. Yeah, I, I think so too. But what's interesting, instead of us particularly relying on the British market, we've expanded and looked into other yeah. markets and we, we're getting a lot of Danish want to train with us now who are going for their Euro Ski Pro which is mm-hmm. kind of their trainer level yeah. top level mm-hmm. yeah. um, Aussies Aussies yeah yeah. Um, yeah. I had quite a few Aussies actually. yeah, yeah. Um, it makes sense for them doesn't it you can come here and train all winter mm. and then go back and work yeah. in yeah. your home homeland yeah, yeah. and uh, a few level 4 Aussie passes yeah um, that we've coached. I suppose it's pretty cool. Yeah, the other Pro- proves our point in a way that that skiing is skiing, no matter where you do it. Yeah. Skiing is skiing, yeah. for sure. Um, there is the hard reality also that you, as you go from that three to four level, certainly was with some of my experience, is that eventually you bump up against your level. Right? You you you. You, you go to the exam where someone eventually tells you, I'm not saying you like, say you have a bit of natural talent, you can ski, and you've got generally all the right moves in all the right order. And then eventually, somewhere between full cert level four and finishing your level three. So I think that the three is a very achievable level for a lot of people. But somewhere in that three, four mix up, you, you, you bump into the limits of your talent and then you either have to go back and fix the fundamental problems that are in your technique or you fall away or you say well, okay well I'm a level three I've done pretty well I'll stay that for the rest of my career but I'm not going to get to the full certification level you might also end up being a guy who Let's say you only get there at 45 years old, mm. say. You're not going to go, realistically, you do all the training in the world you like. I don't think you're going to go and get the Eurotest, as, as it was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a physical limitation on that. There's not many people beyond that age that pass the Eurotest or anything. Wait, Martin. Yeah, Eurotest. That's the highest. It could be, but... Uh... No, I would have speed test. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit different. It's yeah. a bit more achievable, isn't it? Yeah, and they, yeah. they account for age as well. Do they? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. No, but I think to an to an extent you're right. Like you, in order to get through the full cert, you need to sort your fundamentals. Yeah. Like you can't get away with young athleticism. Mm-hmm. Whereas to an extent you can on the level three slash ISIA stamp mm-hmm. thing so like the fundamentals is one thing but then there's also you need to realize at some point in your in your skiing journey that you're moving from if that's where you started from a holiday activity mm-hmm. to a sport yeah and in order to like really take that on board like it might not be that it's enough for you to sort your fundamentals if you don't have the body that's required for it or the mental that's required mm-hmm. so we we do communicate with our trainees uh, about pre-season prep um, 
Now I'm no expert in these matters, so I think Tom is looking. So maybe maybe Tom. He looks to, uh, more like he does preseason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You look like you follow the same <laughs> I, summer program I, like, I do. I garden. Yeah. <laughs> Cuts Tom grass, on the other end. You know, walk uh, around. Tom. <laughs> but interestingly, John, you you say that, but your power to weight ratio, I think, is is really good. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, Not for a fifty-year-old. <laughs> he's smiling when he says that. Uh, no. Um, I think he's humouring you. No, definitely not. And if you've seen John ski, you you can see that. And I've actually trained with John, done some some plyometric stuff, and he does have a good power-to-weight ratio. Is this true? Because I, I the, my impression of you skiing, John, is that you get away with like touch. You're more like a finesse skier. Potentially, I get, I get the feeling that you, Tom, you bully the mountain a little bit. You happen to the snow. Yeah. No, I, like, I think, I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, like aesthetically, that might be the case. But it's also the case that I'm, I, I'm not weak for my weight. Hmm. These are compliments, brother. I'm, yeah, I'm totally. yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. no, but like, um, and like. It's also, I think, you know, having grown up racing and knowing where to be at the mm. right time and all of that stuff. But I have said it over the last few years that I feel like my technique is more than I can now physically handle. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Your body's letting yeah. you down. Yeah, I could, I could get more out of the skis if I had better power. That's really interesting. I get so, that exact same impression. I can only put so much load through my body now. Yeah. With too many back injuries, so I'm like having to really dial it back. Mm. I was never any good in the first place, right? But mm. like the, and this goes actually back to what you were saying with regards to, I'll put it another way. Let's say you're my neighbor who's currently skiing in Brig with the sports school, um, for ski ballet or zone, whatever yeah. it is that he's doing now. He's grown up, gone through ski club, age six. Uh, Regent on DVD, Ski Ballet, Sports School, he'd probably be, I would say Swiss team, there's a big fall off rate, but he's doing well, right? Yeah. His body is growing up accustomed to those forces and will build its own strength pattern based on the forces that are, are happening to him now. If you come into a gap, you're a life changer guy, right? Like, mm. like I was, and you had been used to sitting in an office from age 18 to 33 and then you go out and you try and then put skiing forces through that body at the higher levels you can get away with it one two three i'd say but at the the top level of the stuff that they're asking you to do these days that baseline strength isn't necessarily built into you no i think i think you need to work hard for that i think you need to work hard for you can learn yeah i'm definitely yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah No, it's a good point, Dev, and I think that um, the amount of questions I get asked by ski instructors about what skis should I get and what boots should I get and how much money should I spend on that, mm. and they end up spending lots of money on that, but not much money on their own bodies yeah. and yeah. <laughs> training, training for skiing. Yeah, right. But, uh, you know, in a GS turn, let's take, for example, a high-end GS turn, you can load up to three times your body weight. Mm -hmm. Right. You're supposed to take that on one foot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't. So that is a <laughs> lot of weight, mm -hmm. right? So one of the best things that we try to get across to ski instructors, and I try this every summer, is that, you know, 
you've got to get stronger and you and it's got to be down to your power to weight ratio and if if you let's say you could be a, a really strong person but you might be super heavy mm. so are you going to be able to carry that in a gs turn mm. down 20 turns you know yeah. Yeah. but often something that's not talked about that much in skiing a little bit of a taboo is you know you, there are two ways to get better at power to weight get a better power to weight ratio mm. one is that you know you can get stronger which is absolutely fantastic everyone should do that mm. but also you can be you can be too heavy yeah you know you can be carrying excess weight and so another great way is to is to actually lose some weight Stop eating cakes. And stop eating cakes. Stop, stop your mates bringing uh, cinnamon buns around. But, yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> I've got a fiancé who's into baking sweet cinnamon buns. Can it's, I say? T- it's tough that, right? Because yeah. you've got you've to have the mindset, like I'm, I'm working really, really hard on this for the last, i say at least two years, but before that, I've come out, I came out of a ski city. I managed to keep my weight really down last season it helped a lot and for some reason it let go you know like three kilos but you can really feel it you know that three kilos is crazy like it's not a lot of weight necessarily but it is Mm -hmm. your life is easier when you are lighter Mm -hmm. and so for me I would love probably three cinnamon buns right now but it's not (laughs) worth me having those three cinnamon buns right now because I'm happier with yeah. my clothes fitting, with walking about light on my back not hurting, like all sorts, you know, and these don't hurt anymore. It's it's, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. For sure it is. It's a real thing. And it's like every turn. And it's every turn. Every it's a, turn. Like, like you were saying, a set of 20 GS turns down there. It's not like, it's not even like gym turns, where like if you're doing squats, for example, where you kind of go down, it's like a progressive movement. It's GS turns, you do not have a long time at the end of the turn, you're up again, over, and into the next one. Right? This is yeah. a quick repetitive. And it's at altitude as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah the floor is changing all the time. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah, but certainly there is Yeah, so you get so to yeah. the point like you get to that point where like the holiday maker, advanced holiday maker mindset just doesn't cut it anymore. You have to view it as a sport. And mm. like, it's amazing that you're committing to training with us, preferably. Uh, that you're like you're willing to spend the money on the kit, mm-hmm. but like you have to see your, like you're the centerpiece. So you have to invest in in you, and like you have to be have to see yourself as an athlete for at least a couple of years to go from three to four. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think any ski instructor listening to this now, I would say invest some of that money you might be spending on, on skis um, into a gym membership. It doesn't need, even need to be a gym membership. It can be some basic equipment, kettlebell, a few weights. Mm-hmm. And get a personal trainer if you, if you don't know the exercises. It doesn't cost that much relatively. Mm-hmm. And make sure you've got a periodized program preferably starting now that will take you three months where you stick to it you gradually add add weight mm. and you keep going with that like you, you train three to four times a week 
when you see an improvement then you can increase the weight for example yeah. or increase the repetitions but you've got to stick at it you can't just go to the gym for one or two times and think oh I've done I've done some strength work or do a little bit of this a little bit of that you've got to have a, a structure and it doesn't cost that much to do so I think investing in that would be a big tip I would yeah. give to anyone we had, we had one trainee who trained with us last year no the year before and last year and in the summer in between she did go to the gym and she was amazed mm. how much better she felt how much more power like everything was just easier for her because all of a sudden she had some power to spare mm. and man did she progress just boom 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 yeah um, in progress so it's yeah it's not just waft it's so real the benefits of it yeah Maybe you want to go and do some exercise. <laughs> <laughs> and, but not also, I think ski boots and skis are important. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and something. It's okay. Go on. Something we talk about a lot mm. is getting the right match, mm. you know. Um, something we see a lot is that ski instructors might, especially level two to level three, might have some old, pretty soft recreational ski boots and then they'll buy a pair of fist construction skis and rock up, to, to, rock up to training. <laughs> um, and it just doesn't work, right? You, you, the ski boots are, are the drivers of the skis and it's like... Um, in the... In, in the way to think about it is you work the boot, the boot works the ski. So if the, yeah. if the boot is overmatched by the ski, you're not working it. Is that you offloading the, the John Baptiste Cronche pair? <laughs> I've still got them. <laughs> They're still working them. They're still, I still can't handle them. <laughs> still the, um, I think that, that that's an interesting thing because I recently changed, I've been faffing about telemarketing for a long time, but, and I'm not going to talk about that because I've talked about it on like every episode, but I changed my boots recently from a head raptor and I popped down to Bay near Monte to go and see the new Rossignol Lang shop there. The ski boot fitter there is the guy who used to fit Didier Defargo's boots. Ah. He is the shit. And wow. he managed to get me into a Lang RS, 92 last, Ooh. which is crazy because I've never, I thought I had a good fitting pair of ski boots. I thought I had the guy, which is my guy in Geneva, who's pretty good. And I was skiing the head Raptor. Uh, turns out there's another level. Turns out there's another level. Yeah. <laughs> and not only another level another yeah. ridiculous yeah. level really this boot that i'm in it flexes more progressively even though it's stiffer the it's thinner it fits like a slipper you would not believe and i can really bend my ankle mm. the only issue with it is that that boot then, because you set off like a chain of motion 
for all the other stuff. Then I went back to the skis that I was skiing with Raptor, and it turns out that that boot is too powerful for those skis. Mm-hmm. I'm putting too much through them. So that ski is just like washing out and doing anything. And so now I've got to upgrade that ski. So I've gone now to something like that's a bit more um, performancey. It's yeah. got a plate. Yeah. And I'm going to see if that is the answer. It's a bit more turny. It's like a, what is it, like a e-race or something, a head e-race, 175. It's a bit more turny. It's got a plate. And I figure that that might be the overall solution. But that new boot is, you don't even need to think. Like it's, it's, it's like it's thinking for you. It's absolutely ridiculous how good it was. Right. And it's weird because I thought I had the best setup that you could possibly get. You know, it was like custom liner, custom foot, uh, footbed, boot, you know, mm. carved out by a guy. All that, I thought, like, this is it. I've got it. And then what sent me down that road was that Head changed the design of the Raptor. So they changed the toe box. I don't know if you know about that. I don't know what you guys ski, but they changed the toe box. So the old Raptor used to have quite a uh, a toe box that just sort of went down and kept your toes quite snugly. Then they opened it up and they did this thing, an extended toe box, they, they, they called it. But it made the boot half a shell size too big. And so I was just swimming in this thing. Mm. Couldn't cramp it down like enough. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it anywhere near as tight. And I went to this guy and said, "Yeah, they changed the shell design." I said, okay, well that's that explains a lot. I'm in the wrong shell size. But the guy said, "Try this. Let's see if you can get into this." He said, "We'll get you into this boot if you really want." It's not. It's not the the mega mega stiff one. There's there's grades of it. Mm. It goes like A B C D or something. So it's not the it's not the um, the crazy one. My goodness, I, mean, I didn't realise there was another level to it. It's not com- it's not a, a you it's not a standing on the side of the hill no, all no. day, no. you know, assessing candidates kind of boot. But it's, it's I was amazed. There's another there's another level. And there's probably another level beyond that, but that level is you know, racer proper racer level. It's really interesting. And he's an interesting guy to go and speak to. Um, he's called Stefano, and he he works at um, Startgate in Bay. He's worth going to see. Um, Tom's writing this down. <laughs> yeah, he's just about to drop another Tom. thousand francs on new skier. <laughs> Even yeah. I've been forced to make emergency surgeries on Tom's boots. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Boot trouble. Back in the day. Yeah, it's been a while. I've got a good formula now, but uh, I'm always interested to hear about yeah. new good boot fitters because yeah. it's it's another important point. I think you, I don't trust many people now with my feet. No. Back in the day, I just had them fitted yeah. anywhere, and they for a season they caused me so much trouble. Mm. Uh, I had some horrible things going on, on my feet, and I was in pain. And John saw me one morning taking painkillers and all sorts and he yeah. said Tom I'm just going to cut your liners um, yeah yeah. And, and since then it's it's worth finding a really good boot fitter yeah. I think so Yeah. I'm using the stock liner from this boot but I pulled out the tongue the tongue was terrible um, and I put a zip fit tongue in it but I think I think it's just a little bit isn't it a little bit scary Boots are a little bit scary, and skis are only fun. 
like it's fun to try and new, new ski changing boots is like oof, boots is, commitment is, is, so you're a bit yeah. reluctant so you are, like right. you know what you know and if it's not painful and awful to ski with yeah uh, you're just pr- likely to stick with that you can't concentrate if you've got something going on in your feet oh. Oh, yeah. right. It's every time. Oh, it's horrendous. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and if something's just not right, I'm, so if, if I've got something that's pushing on that outer, whatever that is, that thing there. Six toe, Yeah, yeah, where it always yeah. pushes for me, just yeah. on that foot, you, you don't want to put nope. any load through that boot because you know it's going to touch yeah. and cause that hot spot there, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, six you hours a couldn't day. even have the duvet on your foot when hey, it was that yeah, bad. No, seriously. <laughs> It's actually, That's not you know, thinking back, you know, that brain connection to pain and old injuries. Yeah. Um, the brain knows, and, and even if you're maybe not feeling pain in that moment, if, if you've got an old injury or, yeah. you know, you've had bad boots, you mm. might create a, a movement pattern where you, you you're not going to go there. Yeah. You're not going to go there. You yeah. trust it. You don't you want. Yeah. yeah. And even if you're not injured anymore or like you have anything going on with your feet, the body, like your brain thinks it hurts even if it's not actually. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. And, and an example of one of our old trainees who's, who's now a busy trainer, he, mm. um, he had problems for years in his boots mm. and it probably took two seasons. Yeah. Um, out of his training and being able to actually work and train mm. he got so fed up with it he taught himself how to boot fit oh, no way and he's now a boot fitter and <laughs> like, like a lot of our trainees go to him yeah in his yeah. like garage and he's got like the Dremel tool and yeah. the pliers to open I don't know the names of these things but this, this, yeah. this uh, guy was was good and I went back four times yeah. okay. to, to, to get a, a good fit and like I say I, I was there and it's not that much do you know Didier Defargo was there well, yeah. okay we know we see him around all the time he's a cool guy but the he was in and he was like this is the guy he's like don't worry you're in good hands like, this is the guy <laughs> he obviously he's looking after his feet right? he must be pretty decent but if you don't know Didier Defargo he won the won Olympic, Olympic downhill, downhill in fine. Whistler I think Kitspool, like yeah. serious skier yeah yeah um, big guy what was I going to skid back to Ross in, on, on Pergeskis yeah that guy I, can we say that to the end I, went, I desperately wanted to ask you um, something that you touched on earlier both basic trainers yes it's my impression that don't worry that looks as controversial. it's my impression that the level has moved on a little bit in the last few years the training body seems to have turned a little bit it like strikes me that lazy trainer what do you mean what do you mean by turn turned as in there's like a younger crew coming through mm-hmm. that's for sure there's a younger crew coming through with a bit more of a racy background and it strikes me that the level I'm not saying by the way that the old crew couldn't ski that's be me that's for sure but the the level of the qual- um, the ski ability of the trainers has gone through, and also I'm wondering whether the pass level has gone up slightly. Not um, the level to pass oh. has gone up slightly. Thoughts? Well, 
John defers that straight to Tom. <laughs> no, I can take. <laughs> just don't want to be interrupting each other. So Tom, go. I agree, Dave. I I think being blunt, a busy trainer used to be a bit of a badge for life. One of the best things Basie did in terms of quality assurance was bring in their skiing quality assurance. Mm -hmm. So as trainers, we have to, every three years, attend a two-day assessment. Ah. And if you're not meeting the criteria, um, then you, you get given an action plan and a year to be able to meet the criteria that's required to be a busy trainer. Wasn't it always that way? No. No. Oh, 20, no. no. 20, well, you had a bit of a ski about. Something like that? It, it, yeah, it came 20, maybe, maybe a bit later. 2015, 16. Yeah, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, and I think it's been brilliant because it, it basically tells people they need to up the game in terms of skiing performance. Or get out of the Or way. it's time to say, thank yeah. you, I've had a good time. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to let the, the newbies come through. Mm -hmm. And that's what it has done. You know, it's allowed space for more, you know, great skiers, great coaches mm. to, to come through in, into the trainer system. And I think we are really strong at the moment. There's, there's some mm. brilliant yeah. new so trainers. Saw, yeah. Yeah. There's, um, the skiing now is phenomenal, actually, in Daisy. Um And that's new. Mm. Like, compared to a decade ago, it's, it's very different. Very different. Mm -hmm. uh, which which may, makes us then go, whoa, yeah. these young guns coming yeah. through, I better, yeah. better, uh, yeah, <laughs> better sure. sharpen up. Absolutely. Um, uh, and, and I think it's just good for any organization to have a, a reasonable amount of churn uh, in, yeah. in personnel, so it's not, because, because otherwise it becomes stagnant. So I think that's that's been good, um, for sure. Um, and the um, like if if you're the person to put others through an exam process, you shouldn't shy away from going through that yourself every, once every three years. It's good to make you relate to what you put other people through. So I think it's good from that perspective as well. Mm. That was always my experience going through up until the point where I came out of basically was was that it was just the same old faces examining the the three or four exams year in year out you know it was you knew who you were going to get roughly depending mm. on where you were seeing the exam it's still a smaller uh, group of trainers that deliver um, three and four mm -hmm. uh, but there's now a system for that uh, so at these quality assurances uh, you will be uh, okayed by Basie uh, to deliver threes and maybe even fourth. Mm -hmm. um, whereas before it was a little bit unclear how that was how that was decided, but it's clear now. If and it's to the point where if you feel if you haven't been cleared to deliver courses, you can just go on to a, a QA. If, if I understand it correctly, you can put yourself forward for a QA to be clear, even though you don't need to do it because three years hasn't passed. Oh, okay. So it's like so a voluntarily a, yeah, set yourself. put yourself forward for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been good and it's uh, like the trainers 
here we have a lot of trainers in Verbia now. We, we're Tom and I, are sort of the proud parents of five of them. Our <laughs> <laughs> uh, old trainees. Yeah. Uh, no, it makes me really proud to see it actually. Yeah. Uh, that that they have done so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they're good. They're curious about skiing still. They're they know how to ski. They know how to teach and coach and uh, yeah they're doing from what I've seen working alongside them they're doing a fantastic job it's really really fun to see and be a part of and as regards the level that it takes to pass the highest level technical exam Mm. do you think that's moved on slightly because it strikes me that it it, the, the nature of this next gen of what looks like quite decent skiers as trainers coming mm-hmm. through would that not push the level on? I, there the I would same? say I haven't seen any drift uh, on the standards recently uh, I think between like around 2014 through 18 or so I was a little bit confused of where the standard actually was even right. though we were providing training because we sent lots of people to exams and we were let's say befuddled is that a word uh, every once yeah. in a while with with who came back with a pass and who didn't mm-hmm. what I've seen is that there is a much more consistent standard now okay to the point where like you can you can honestly say there's a standard now and there's there's some interesting things happening to make that even more assured so this year Basie is trying for the first time to not have exams in Zermatt, Verbier, Morzine. It's all the level four texts they're in Courmayeur. Oh. Yeah. Why? Because it's it's like it's can be quite a difference to like let's say you're in Val d'Isere and your trainer says La Fasse Longs. If yeah. you don't know what La Fasse is, it's a World Cup run steep, steep. for yeah. steep for a thousand vertical. It just it never is, ends. Uh, uh, or you're on um, you're on um, um, an easier pitch in Zerat. Mm-hmm. That makes it a little bit unfair. Mm-hmm. So trying now this year to see like to go to somewhere where mo- no busy trainers work, no not that many trainees are there. Yeah. So it's a bit of a neutral um, thing consistent pitch yeah and like, instead of Basie going to where everyone is for the level 4 tech mm. the idea is that people will come to where Basie thinks is a good spot and it's not somebody's home, home court And that's interesting it's a, it takes out that whole Verbier Val d'Isere thing doesn't it yeah. I think it's always been the problem with skiing one it's an open spot right so yeah. you always get different conditions different mm-hmm. times of year and then different slope angles again different results confidence so trying to standardize that you know our criteria has been the same for many years but trying to standardize a hero snow january exam Mm -hmm. in a result that you know to an end of season hintertux exam sheet of glass glass or or powders it seems to have been the last few years (laughs) um then you know, I think bringing it all to one place and mm. having the, you know, the same... One place, one time a year? Well, it, it, runs it, once? No, it's a, a January and a March. Okay. Um, it's, 
I think it's a really interesting idea to try. Uh, maybe it's not going to work out, but uh, I think I think it could. Yeah. yeah, I think that's I think interesting because so. the 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 hint tux has a reputation as like an end of season shootout. Right? Like there's eight groups and you know everyone's. Yeah, that's you know, uh, bumps get pretty big. Blah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, I've run the the Fortec the last couple of seasons in in Hintertux, mm. and uh, sadly things are getting warmer, so some of the terrain that was available before is not available anymore. So it's getting on the flatter side. Um, to run the course, uh, but like there, you have a rationale for running it. Mm. It's the only place where you could run it at that time of the year. Yeah, whereas running it in different resorts around the Alps midwinter, you don't have that justification for it. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, and especially, I think what Bayesley are trying to avoid is standalone courses. Mm -hmm. So more and more, maybe with less people going for the level four, if you're gonna run one week level four technical, let's say, and there's only one trainer mm -hmm. or two trainers on it, it's much better to have a group of trainers who can all check in with each other mm. on the levels yeah. and yeah. you know swap and look at video. So the standardization process, if you if you're running more groups, becomes um, just better, really. Yeah. And I think the call my other thing is good as well, isn't it? Sorry to interrupt you, but like that, I've never understood the rationale. I know they've been trying to run, or they have run. Trying to is a better word because the weather's never plays ball. The, the ones, for example, in Morsi, they have uh, run one I've, or two I there. Think I they've think. run one or two, but yeah. I've always thought Morsi, really? Like it, a lot of the terrain there is flat. Right, well, you've got the Stad maybe, and you've got the the Plenty, but yeah, you might have to watch out for the odd cow as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Morsi. Sorry, sorry. I've got but a lot of friends in Morsi. Sorry, but it's, it's, it's it strikes me as not the place. You no, know, but I, I think a lot of tourists as well. I think you know, it was no a. Space. I think that came from a, a good idea that that Basie should be focused on the members, and go where members are, and they had a bunch of people there going for the four, mm -hmm. so they tried it, uh, and like, I don't I don't know Morzine well enough to know if the terrain is is good enough, um, but um, I like. My thinking there is that if you're if you've invested so much that you're going for your four tech, mm. you will go there where the exam is. Basically, doesn't have to come to you there. That's my thinking. I don't know if I'm right with that or not, but I think uh, yeah. you no, you yeah. will go to that exam. Whereas, mm. like for all the other exams, ever one, two, three, you can run that anywhere and make it pretty consistent. Terrain's so, nice in Cornwall as well. Skiing's nice there. I've, I've done two powder days in 1993, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. There might be a new lift here and there. Yeah, yeah. One would hope, I think. Yeah. Wonderful. Really amazing place. Yeah. I mean, it's Italy as well, so it's not Food's as expensive as, yeah. as Switzerland would Coffee's be good. to go somewhere in Switzerland. So I think it's I think it's hopefully a good choice. Yeah. Let's see if it works. Yeah. I'm with you. I want to just, if I can, I know we're all a little bit pressed for time, but... Um, how many ski instructors do you see at any level, but mainly the higher levels and even through to like trainer levels and whatnot, who are overbooted? Can't bend their boots, can't bend their ankles. Creates a certain movement pattern. I can, I can think 
few people who put videos up here and there. I'm like, you can't. You're not. You're only bending with two out of your three options. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that much? Do you see like? Do, do you pay that much attention to the equipment people are on? And and yeah, I don't. It strikes me as obvious when you see people that yeah. then they are that sort of pushy heel movement mm. because you can't flex through the turn. You know. Um, I see it a lot, and I wonder if you guys see that. I don't. Like, honestly, not. I think we see underbooted more than overbooted on. But it. it like, People, when they come through the gap, a recreational holiday maker boot is usually what they, they come in. Mm. And then they ski in that maybe for a f- few too many seasons. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, there's yeah. virtually nothing there. And, yeah. then they, and then they go up to maybe, uh, maybe probably not a plug boot, but uh, um, like a shop race boot, something that says 130 flex. Yeah. And I, they're just not used to feeling any pushback from the boot. Mm-hmm. So it might not be that they're overbooted per se. It's just that they need to figure out how to to get their shins into the front of the boot. And, uh, yeah, and how like, to stay on top of like, that. Yeah, push work it a little bit. Boot, yeah. And I think that that's just a transition you have to go through as a skier. Like as you move from recreational equipment up to more sporty equipment, you, it's, that's just a journey you have to go through mm-hmm. and in the beginning you know they're used to the boot basically collapsing when, when they flex the ankle and all of a sudden it doesn't mm-hmm. and then they get a little bit confused so they push the heels but it's something you can you can work through I think mm-hmm. that's, that's my thinking on that but but obviously it's something you have to work through um, you see some people get also caught out when they're in a new uh, boot or a new boot to them Mm. that's more of a performance based boot you often see or it might be even sometimes you see it when they go on to like a decent ski for the first time and you see them with that thing where all of a sudden the ski accelerates mm. and then they're like in the wrong oh, yeah. place there because they've never felt a tail of Kick. a ski that's got a, you know, a bit of a whip to yeah. it or, or a ski boot that is giving them that acceleration out of the turn yeah, but like, you can't learn how to ski that equipment until you've skied it. Mm. So it's, it is a journey you have to go through, but uh, you have to go through it or you you plateau out and you learn new bad habits. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a process of elimination as, as coaching, you know, is it a strength thing? Is yeah. it a technique thing? Is it just the equipment or is it a combination mm. of everything and mobility thing as well mobility thing is, mm. it, is it a time thing practice yeah. um, I'll give you a quick example of me this season figuring something out um, I got a new pair of slalom skis and I've been on my old pair quite a number of years I hadn't actually realised how long mm. I'd been using them for and um, I realised, well, my old ones are completely dead because mm. mm. the new pair of slalom skis I got absolutely put me in the back seat, and I was like, "Whoa, this? okay, this yeah. is this is what it feels like now." To yeah. and I had to yeah. change and practice. And I think with experience, I knew immediately what what was the difference. But for someone new to that, 
yeah. they might be like, oh, what, what is going on? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. But I think one of the points is don't take too big a step when you move up the, the equipment yeah. grade. Like, don't go from uh, a yeah. gap boot to a plug boot. Yeah. So, like, don't. Yeah. Um, yeah because, because like, right. you will never get the feedback um, of what it, the boot can do for you. Because it's, like, the sweet spot or, the like, the precision you need to put in to get something out mm. is so precise that you haven't learned that yet, so you will never get good information back from the equipment. Yeah, you're quite right about that. And so, also, you're not, not everyone can put that kind of power through no. like a big flexing boot, right? No. A big fellow like Tom, you, you can, just strong yeah. enough, but not everyone is built like him. No, very few. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little romance going on here. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a I'm strong he's and he's got, got a good body. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him. I saw him at the Col de Grand Saint Bernard. He's walking around with like a, a, a wife beater vest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had something on the, the, the top at least. <laughs> the um, um, it's interesting you say that, right? Because this takes you on nicely to the the last topic. Which, if if you're there and you've got all these variables kicking around, looking with your eye at equipment setup, physical preparation, technique, goes on. How long... TP and me. No, don't give us time. <laughs> the, how long before a skiing robot instructor can do all that? No, essentially, this is under rise of AI. Mm. <laughs> because... I've got two, two schools of thought on this. I'll lay out what I think and you can just run with it. But um, in the future, people are going to pay a premium for human interaction. Yeah. So exactly the same thing to my insurance guy this morning. I him, yeah, probably there'll be a bot at some point that can do all of this. But, and I know I'm paying more, but I get to come sit and have coffee with you. And we just talk like human beings. And the current rise of AI is, is flipping frightening. I've just re rewritten a whole bunch of marketing stuff for, for a project that we're doing. And I could have got chat GPT to write all that for me if I really wanted to. Instead, I sat there and tapped it out, you know, in the old way. But I'm already at the point where I feel like I'm getting a little bit left behind by what's coming. Um, how do you see that coming into skiing and how do you see the future in, in that respect? Um, I am, I don't know, AI and skiing, like I'm all for, if like in coaching, it being quite data driven, oh, yeah. so it's not <laughs> fluff, I time, my trainees in the bumps. Oh yeah. Uh, count the number of turns. Uh, just to make sure that I'm not just taking taking the wrong route in my coaching because I say you need to ski faster, but maybe it's just fucking smooth. 
so it looks good and easy and uh, he's actually fast because I've been tricked by that in the past and that's when I started yeah doing that just to confirm what I'm talking about I do that with with longs and short turns as well I count the turns like not so often yeah. live but when I you know we take video of it and when I come home I'll just you know have a look at the clock when it yeah. starts when it finishes and count the number of turns just so I'm like so. counting the number of turns is top tip for anyone going to passing yeah. the exams right if your examiner goes down and he does 25 turns right in his demonstration you make damn sure that you do 25 turns so you've got the same rhythm and the same thing that he's I mean that's like it's easier that way yeah it's easier that way I mean if you're if you're good enough you're good enough it doesn't matter if you're two or three turns more or less but um, but yeah I mean the dev like the examiner typically tries to set a nice template for people to mm. to emulate. That's that's why you provide demos when you mm. when we run exams. But um, but AI, I haven't really thought about AI in in um, coaching as such. I mean, you have Carve and that Tom knows about. Yeah, so it's, I'm with John really on like you know I think Carve is a rudimentary AI. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. use data. Yeah. So I, I'm an ambassador. But it filtered data. Yeah. Yeah. I work with Carve and done some videos mm -hmm. on YouTube. And, you know, I've got the units. And I think they've made a big step into providing more data into skiing. Mm -hmm. And I, it's really, it's really good system because it provides that intermediate skier who might not get ski lessons with some feedback with some ideas about what good skiing peace skiing is mm -hmm. and it provides a lot of data edge angle rotation pressure is and it accurate i think it's pretty accurate yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's now linked to video so you can look in real time mm. at let's say a ski turn left and right and kind of identify, oh, well, you know, my pressure is a lot later on my left footer than my right footer. And Isn't it always, though? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and so I think that sort of stuff is, is great, but you still need the human interaction. You still need the coach. And I think if you look at something like Carver's, just another tool for analysis, mm. like video is, mm. and then, you know, you've got Carve. I don't know so much about AI, but the future of skiing I wonder whether it would go into more sensors all over the body and having uh, you know the best skiers in the world ski turns and then having a template and linking that template to mm -hmm. you and having sensors on your own body who knows where, where the future might go but I'm, I'm sure that kind of stuff will become available um, not for the very best skiers in the world because they're still trying to win races so I think they try to keep that a secret yeah but, um, <laughs> yeah um, I yeah I'm but I think like on the opposite it, it's I can also see what like you're doing for yeah. yeah but like for holiday makers yeah um, they're out on holiday they want to have a, a good time a lot of them like a huge portion of it so then I think hiring a local who knows where the snow is the best that day might be just as important as yeah. Am I gripping like yeah. as high in the turn on my lefties as I am on my righties? Um, I think that's just as 
part, like big part of a nice holiday. And for kids, I mean, kids need someone to look after them as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so far, I think we're quite far away from like skiing robots uh, well, being I, able to do that. And it, even at the instructor level or athlete level, it, it doesn't consider the mental aspect and the no. mental performance and how you get the best out of someone. And mm -hmm. Working with someone on a human level, how do they learn? How do they perform at their best? What's their arousal levels? That kind of thing. I think there's a there's a long way to go. And I think. That's where you and I have grown the most as coaches. Mm. Uh, like once you kind of figure out good skiing, and that you always get slightly better eyes, slightly better analogies or whatever to use. But managing the people is is what we've learned or improved the most. I would say over the, over the last few years. Yeah, that kind of human empathy is is a yeah is a thing that they're going to really struggle with, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you if you if you do have a replacement. You know, John Arson robot. Like he's not going to be able to emote on the same level and have a sort of fundamental yeah. understanding. This is, I mean, the, the the current AI stuff, as I understand it, are just amazingly. It's like an enormous reading machine that is that it would read stuff incredibly quickly mm. and then pump out an estimate of what it thinks that you're after. Yeah, it doesn't have that next level capability to. Of like interpretation to sit down and have a chat with someone that's going <laughs> having a bad day. That's yeah. like that's a big part of the job, you know. Yeah. Somebody you can see somebody skiing much worse, and like you can, see they're not smiling. So on the next chairlift, you make sure that you sit next to them, have a little chat. And uh, this this like, is this is where I don't think in something yeah. like what we're in. So the the skiing, and I'm thinking more like tourist skiing or weekend skiing. Mm. I'm not talking about higher level yeah. performance yeah. stuff, right? You might want to put a carb in your boot because, or in your student's boot, just to uh, augment the understanding that you should be doing something here instead of here. Uh, that, that, that's a very real thing. I think the experience that people want when they come to the mountain, and this is probably my perspective more so than, mm. than, than yours because you're performance coaches and I am concerned with things like tourism and clients yeah. and, and uh, is that they want to get away from tech that's my reading of the situation they I'm come sure to the mountains to get away there's a market for the tech stuff as well there's definitely a market uh, for nerds like, yeah like, who, who are really interested yeah, but, in like apps and all this you yeah. see enough people using ski tracks right yeah I was just about to mention yeah. that that like this Johanna my partner's had clients like uh, you just show me where I get the most vertical today. I need to come back with these many verticals. Oh yeah, you to the to the office to for bragging rights. I'm guessing like yeah. Oh yeah, I was in Verbi. I did uh, <laughs> fifteen thousand verticals every day. Whatever. Like, oh. That's like, like that's, there's definitely there's yeah. definitely yeah, yeah absolutely. But there's definitely a market for that. Yeah, I'm sure of that. But there's definitely uh, like a market for humans in, in tourism. I'm not nervous about that. For for a long time anyway. I hope so. I can't do anything else. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. I'm learning to garden this summer. Oh that's true, yeah. It's but there'll be a robot that can do that. <laughs> yeah. Like you are very replaceable. Yeah, it's in just, that respect. It, yeah, just it'll be an advanced robot because Verbi is so steep. 
<laughs> when that robot comes, I'm definitely buying it because I cannot stand cutting the garden. It's my worst thing. It's like a jungle the last time I cut it. Um, so I'm so excited for you both about your, um, your new project. Tell people if they do want to level up. Mm. Uh, so well done. <laughs> um, and come and get the best uh, high level training that they can possibly get. Where do they find you? Join your rubbish at this point. Yeah, they can find us on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Instagram handle is um, at Level Up Ski Coaching. Yeah. Okay. Save Facebook. Uh, we have a website www.levelupskicoaching.com where you can find all the details about what we do, our program, our history and yeah, I think the in Verbier in Switzerland. Yeah. That's where we are. Yeah. The best bet is to just yeah, send us a message. Yeah. Can be on on social media or by email mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. and we'll get back to you. How do you um do you get the majority of your inquiries through Instagram? I think it's word of mouth. Word of mouth, to be right. honest. Yeah, we always the same. Right? We do pretty well at that, and people who have yeah. done well with us and passed exams, and over the years we've been doing it a long time, haven't we? So they tell other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I would say there's not that many cold leads that like mm. coming off the street. Is yeah, mostly uh, word of mouth, and even when you think it's somebody that you don't know at all they've heard from someone it's yeah. a small world we're in isn't it yeah so, yeah for sure yeah absolutely guys i'm so impressed and i'm very very happy for you this new direction you're going in thank you i there's nothing like the magic of having your own ideas and just going in the direction that you want to go i think it's it's wonderful and i often look back to those days like when i started snow pros it was exactly like that right i'm just going over there because that's where i want to go now i have to Mm. check stuff with other people and it's like it's a little bit slower mm. so I'm becoming corporate no no, <laughs> no don't say it it's oh, true though it's true but I, I I resent having to check things with people mm. you know or in fact we've even got like a structure sometimes now where I have to give something to someone I yeah. could do it myself yeah but there's a department that lives over there and it needs yeah. to go into that department and yeah. that person probably won't do it as quick as I would have done it but you can't do everything and that's the thing that, yeah. that gets me the most and that, it's why I keep starting new things because it keeps me excited and that, that's like nice for us to be part of a, of a bigger ski school um, but have our own little box inside it is oh, you know, a, a cool guy as well like Toby's a cool guy yeah and yeah. and uh, so like there is an office uh, that that does stuff yeah, the banking and yeah. that kind of None thing. None of the boring stuff. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, which is amazing for us. Yeah, it's really exciting, and yeah. we're, we're looking forward to uh, to the future. I'm looking forward to seeing skin. you guys out there. Yeah. Just yeah. like you know, don't forget me when I come and yeah. ski up to you and say hi. <laughs> we will. Thanks, Dave. Thank, Thank you. Dave.